Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. God, we uh, appreciate you giving us your word for us to study, for us to uh, examine, to apply to our life. Lord, I'm sure, I'm quite sure that we do um, a very terrible job at all of those things. Um, we appreciate your grace and your mercy and, and how somehow, even in our human frailty, you managed to get us where we're supposed to be and get us on the same page with you. And we thank you for uh, mornings like this, people like this, and uh, the opportunity to come together and to discuss your words. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I never have trouble preparing uh, a sermon. Never. It's never been my issue. Preparing a sermon has never been my issue. And it's very interesting because the statement that I'm saying is actually very true. I never have a problem preparing a sermon. My problem has always been I prepare five. That same idea, that same Turn a phrase, I don't have a problem preparing a sermon. The same idea comes alive in today's passage. Jesus looks at a woman and he says to her, go and get your husband. And she says, I do not have a husband. And he says, you're exactly right. You do not have a husband. The truth is, you have had five. The man you are currently living with is not your husband. You think about a passage like that, and a moment like that, there's a lot of feelings that come up, huh? Think, well, I hope he never dimes me out like that in front of anybody. Don't bring up how many times I've screwed my life up. Don't count them out, please. But there's a lot of really cool insights in this passage. Stuff that I didn't see. Stuff that this morning, even this morning, I'm rewriting. And I'm like, I don't know what sermon we're going to preach this morning. So you'll be as surprised as me, you know? I don't know what it'll be. I mean, I got notes here. She's seen every kind of love around except the one she's never found. She's wandered her life between the intersections of guilt and shame, trying to figure out how do you just get through life? How is it that some people can get up in the morning, go to their job, not screw their life up, come home, feed their family, go to bed, and not mess anything up in a 24-hour period? How does that happen? Some of you are like, I don't know, I just wake up and do it. Others of you are like, I know, how do they do it? For me, I'll be honest, I've said this before. Sometimes the day has too many hours in it. Sometimes it has too many. I mean, I'm good for about 13 or 14 hours. I can keep it between the lines. 15, 16 hours. End up off the rails somewhere. Like my buddy says, keep it between the mustard and the mayonnaise, you know? Hard to do. Sometimes the day is just too long. Some of you know this because you have kids like this. 
We call them prodigals sometimes. Days just too long. They're good for a while, but then off they go. This is her. Scripture says that she goes to the well around noon. Doesn't seem to be too significant, but anytime John gives us a little bit of detail in his gospel, we kind of have to perk up and pay attention. Noon? The sixth hour? Why? Well, wouldn't that be hot? Yeah, it would be hot. Shouldn't you go fetch water in the morning? When do you want to do your chores? Huh? Summer rolls around. You want to do them in the heat of the day? Well, of course not. Why is she going there? Why is she by herself? The passerby, the passerbys, they say things like to her. They use those words. You know those words? The words that are reserved only for adult company and only for a certain group of people, specifically women, and the way they've lived their life. Those words. Those are the words they mumble to her. But here's the deal. You know as well as I know. Oftentimes, the words that other people say to us are not nearly, nearly as wrecking as the words that we say to ourselves. The problem is, is that sometimes we hear that and we internalize it, and then that becomes our own mantra. We just wake up and we say these things. Why do I do this? And I think this is her, and I think she's living at that same place, that intersection, you know, guilt and shame. She's in that place to where she's like, why do I do this? The same questions haunt her every single day. She wakes up out of bed. She rolls over. She looks to her right. She asks that same question she's asked before. Who's that? Again, why do I always do this? Why do I manage to screw up? How do I manage to screw up every single thing that's good in my life? Why? God, take this from me. You ever prayed that one? God, take this from me. You're in the throes of addiction. You say things like, wouldn't I be better for you if you would just take this from me? God replies like, she has these same prayers. She has these same thoughts. These same disappointments. And she's alone. She goes to the well at noon. 40 miles south, Jesus' message is expanding and going really, really good. He's gaining so many disciples that people begin to notice that John the Baptist, who they were kind of okay with, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, were kind of okay with John the Baptist because John the Baptist wasn't making any real bold claims. He would say things like, I'm not him. I'm just the voice calling in the wilderness. And they're like, okay, call. Call all you want. But when it comes to Jesus, he was a little more cryptic. He would say things that were a little more cryptic. They would kind of set you back a little bit. And you would be like, so are you him or are you not him? What are you trying to do here? And he would say stuff like, a man must be born again. Yeah, come on. Stop with the games, Jesus. Say who it is you really are. He's gaining these disciples. And he wasn't baptizing them. John tells us that. But his disciples were baptizing these people who kept coming. There's another idea here, though. You've got the guys who get mad about maybe this could be a potential problem. But there's also people on the other side. People on the other side work this way. If you can attract a crowd, and you are that kind of person, and you can get people on your side, and you're persuasive, sometimes people will show up in your life, and they'll be like, hey, can I borrow you for a second? I've got an agenda. 
People do it with money. People do it with popularity. People do it with power. There's this other idea that maybe some people there who would like to throw Rome completely out of the promised land get together and they say, hey, we need a celebrity to endorse our movement. If we had a celebrity to endorse our movement, a lot more people would come. We need somebody with some grit, somebody who's controversial, somebody who can do miracles, somebody who can just kind of leave people just speechless all the time. Who could we get? And then in the back, you see this guy, and he's standing back there, and he's produced food for people. He's healed people. The religious leaders show up and they say something to him and Jesus chops them down. And these guys begin elbowing each other like, hey, that guy right there. If we get Jesus on our team, imagine the kind of leverage we would have. Jesus hears of this nonsense that's going on, whether it's this or that, whether it's we don't like you or whether it's we want to use you. Jesus hears of it. And he leaves. John chapter 4. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back at once to Galilee. I don't know if you know how the promised land is kind of set up. Judea is here. Samaria is here. Galilee is here. All right? One more time. Judea. Samaria. Galilee. That's how it sets. Jesus is here near Jerusalem. Remember, he just left. In Jerusalem, this area. He hears about all that's going on because he's kind of in the capital. When you're in the capital and people see that you're doing stuff and he says, I'm not, I'm not here for this. So he leaves. And so he marches his way out. It's interesting. John notes something. Verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. It's an interesting it's an interesting phrase. Here's why. Because he doesn't really have to go through, he doesn't really have to go through Samaria. In fact, if you're a Jew, you rarely go through Samaria. You go around Samaria. You go to Jericho, to the west, and then you go up, well, actually, you're in the valley of uh, the Jordan River, and you go across, I mean, all the way up through the valley of the Jordan River until you get to Galilee, and then you go to Galilee. But you don't cut straight through Samaria. About 100 years before this, the Jews revolted against the Samaritans, went up there, and smashed their temple at Mount Gerizim. There's been this hostility with them all the way back to the captivity. Like Assyria. Hundreds and hundreds of years. They've not liked each other. It's not just a racial thing. The Samaritans are guilty too. The Jews were not nice. They were not loving. The Samaritans, just the same. They would take dead bones of people and they would throw them into the temple. That's a serious no-no, right? Don't defile the temple like that. Here's something else they did. They would also go and they would go up on high mountains, the Samaritans, and they would light these lights up. They would light up these like candles and, or, or uh, torches. And those torches were to notify everybody that it was time to celebrate a certain holiday. And the Samaritans would do that thing. But you know what they would do? They would do it on the wrong day. So the Jews would miss their feast. They would miss their holiday. And they would get mad and they would go on the warpath. And these two have been at it forever. Still to this day, if you go to Samaria and you strike up a conversation and you say, hey, just a quick question. 
Temple Mount in Jerusalem, that's the right place for, for the Jews to worship, right? The Samaritans there now, today, 2018, look you in the face and say this. No. Wrong again. That's how long this battle has been going on. You don't have to go through Samaria. In fact, you should avoid Samaria. It's a very, very hostile relationship between the two. And John writes, he had to. As if he had an appointment. He had to go. He had an appointment. Maybe he didn't want to go. But he had to go. He had to pass through Samaria. 40 miles south, Jesus takes off and he gets there. And when he arrives, he arrives at noon in a town called Sychar in Samaria. When he gets there, there's a woman. She's known every kind of love around. All kinds. She gets there and she approaches the well. Both people came for water. It says that Jesus sat down at the well because he was tired and he was trying to recover from his trip. And he says to the lady, would you give me a drink? She's bringing a water jar because she's obviously thirsty too. And it's the heat of the day. Both people came for water. When Jesus engages her, he engages her by saying, woman, would you give me a drink? To which she says, how is it that you can ask me for a drink? I am a Samaritan woman. I think there's an and in there. I don't think there really is, but I think I'm a Samaritan and a woman because Jesus is breaking two very big rules. You don't mess around talking to women if you're a rabbi. That was the rule. You don't do it. You know what else you don't do? You don't teach them everything you know either. You don't teach women everything you know. You know why? Because women get smart. Smarter than you. Then they'll overtake everything. You know? And whatever the rabbi's reasons for it, I don't know. But the rabbi's, you didn't do that. Don't spend time talking to women. Don't spend time talking to women. And she was a Samaritan. She says, how is it that you can ask me for a drink? I'm a Samaritan and a woman. You're a Jew. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. <laughs> Verse 11, sir, the woman said, you have no bucket. You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get living water? You're greater than our father Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You're better than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his flocks and his herds. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become like a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to draw this water. I think that is said very, very sarcastically. I think her response to him is, I see you're trying to take me somewhere on some ride, but you know what would be even better than that? Is if you gave me this really special water you're talking about, and then I wouldn't have to come back down here and haul this big old water jar all by myself. So, you know, cough it up. Hand me the water. Oh, is that right, Jesus? Okay, how about you give me some of that water? That'd be good. Then I wouldn't have to tote this bucket around no more. 
Jesus said to her, go call your husband. Then come back. <clears throat> I have no husband. Jesus said, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Oh, how insightful are you? You're so observant. I can see that you're a prophet. There's this interesting thing that happens to me sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. And I try to keep this kind of under wraps <laughs> when I go places where somebody doesn't know me or whatever. And then if it eventually comes out, people start to talk about, so what do you do? <sighs> try to not talk about it. Then, because the same thing happens. Same thing happens here as happens in my life. The same thing happens. So what do you do? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in uh, communications. I'm a motivation, motivational speaker. Oh, yeah? No, not really. Not really. I'm a uh, work for a church. Oh, you work for a church? Oh, that's cool. Like, like non-profit work. Yeah, 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 non-profit work. So what do you do there? Ah. Okay, here's the rules. I'm going to tell you, don't ask no questions after that. Oh, yeah, okay, okay, okay. It's weird, okay. I'm a preacher. Hey, I got a question for you. I freaking knew you would do that. Hey, I got a question. I got a question. Are the Catholics going to hell? Like, this is the kind of stuff that happens. People just pull it out of nowhere. Hey, 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 hey. Catholics going to hell? What are you talking about? What are, I just said to you, no questions, you know? Hey, 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 I need to ask you something. So my grandpa died? Is he going to heaven? I don't know him. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going half the time, you know? Come on. Asking me I see that you're a prophet. Hey, I got a question, Jesus. Where's the right place to worship? I got an expert in front of me. Here he is. Finally, for the first time, I've got the answer. I got somebody who can answer this question. You can resolve this age-old battle. All you got to do is give me the right answer right now. Jesus, who's going to hell? The Jews or the Samaritans? Tell me. You Jews say Jerusalem. We say Mount Gerizim. She's quick. She is quick. I can see you're a prophet. Hey, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus says, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Your, uh, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And all of a sudden, she doesn't want any more information. Okay, okay, okay. Good enough. Good enough. Good enough. When the Messiah gets here, he'll explain it all. Thank you. Good enough. Good enough. 
And Jesus says, huh, it's interesting. She knows that the well is deep, but she has no idea she's in over her head. You see this? Like the well is deep, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, you don't even know how far in over your head you are. When the Messiah comes, he'll explain it all. And then Jesus goes like this. I who speak to you am him. I am him. What a powerful moment. Believe me, woman. I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I will speak to you in he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked because you don't question Jesus, all right? Smart move. Twelve. Good work. No one asked, what do you want or why are you talking to her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. <sighs> Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him some food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more to harvest? I tell you, open your eyes. Look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now the harvest for the crops, he harvests crops for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Her testimony was simple. Come meet the man that told me everything I ever did. Hey, Lucy, uh, newsflash, we already all know what you did. It's not like it's brand new news. Yeah, but... He's not from here. Oh, that is interesting. That is interesting. That is a little interesting. I mean, I guess it might be worth a gander. They go down and they see this Jesus and they meet him and have these conversations. And they're blown away by who he is. You know what the longest recorded conversation, one on one conversation in Scripture is? The longest one-on-one -on -one conversation that Jesus has with an individual. Do you know what it is? Her. Do you know that one of the plainest, most upfront, um, simple messianic claims that happens inside of Scripture happens with this woman? Do you realize that his disciples have not even heard him say, I am the Messiah? But this woman knows. In a world where we live in, where everybody would love to paint Jesus and the church and scripture 
as being very sexist, might I tell you something about your Savior? All the great things, all the big revelations, they were given to women first. The resurrection, women first. The Messiah, the Virgin Mary, women first. Please, please, please don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Well, Scripture's just this way. Listen, the culture was that way. Our Savior was not. Our Savior was honest and loving. He drew no lines in the sand. And if ever there was a question on whether or not Jesus was being impartial to someone, it was only to push their faith and expand their faith. And here's what's crazy about her life. Her life puts out publicly that she's living out every single one of her fantasies out loud. She's probably the envy of some folks. I mean, they would never say it out loud. Well, I don't know if you've had them or not, but I've had them. Like, man, you know what? I, I'm, I'm happy to be a Christian, but in my weaker moments, I've looked out into the world and I thought to myself, if I didn't have to haul this cross around... I'd go have my fun too. If I didn't have to lug this thing around, maybe she's the envy of others. But the truth behind it is this. She is dissatisfied. She's dissatisfied. She's broken on the inside. Somebody said something. Somebody did something. Somebody left her somewhere. Something broke. And she's looking for something. She's not living out her life in all the fun that, it, that, that everybody else may assume she's having. I need to read you a few things here. If you want to write these down, you can write these down. If you don't want to write them down, um, I'll, post them. I'll post them on Facebook or something later on uh, today when I post the sermon. When Jesus approaches this Samaritan woman, he approaches her with seven things. Seven things. Seven parts of his personality or his person. And dads, if you were, if you were wise, you would live these out as an example for your daughters. If you have daughters, you would teach these to your boys. Because if you can master these seven things right here, do you know what? You'll be a great husband. You'd be a great husband if you can get these things right here. You can be a knockout husband if you can nail these seven things. This wasn't even Jesus' wife. Jesus didn't have a wife. It wasn't his girlfriend. But his interactions with her right here are so noble and so above reproach and yet loving that if we can figure these out, we win. If we can teach them to our kids, they'll, grow on, they'll go on to be great husbands. If we can teach them to our daughters, they'll know what to look for in a man someday. Here's what they are. When Jesus approaches her, he approaches the woman with vulnerability. Can I have a drink? Can I have a drink? This is not a strong thing for men. Men do not like to let their guard down. Have you noticed that, ladies? We like to walk around all like we've got it all figured out, you know? We don't like to let our guard down. I don't like to ask for directions, you know? Jesus, Jesus approaches this woman with generosity. 
He gives her everything that he has. She says, you don't have a bucket. He says, no, but I've got living water. I'll give it to you. Patience. She fires off a few shots at him, doesn't she? She says stuff to him that's, had it been me, but like, watch your mouth. Get sassy. Oh, you better than our father Jacob, who watered his sons and his sheep and his flocks here. You better than him? Jesus was patient. Jesus was honest. Gave her the truth. Lady, you've had five husbands. The water that I give you, you'll never thirst again. You're looking for something, lady. You're dissatisfied. You're looking for something. Number five, heartfelt dignity. You know what's interesting is it's just the two of them standing at the well. The disciples were gone. We don't, ever, we don't even have any other example of Jesus taking somebody's life, the sins inside their life, and pulling them out and displaying them for anybody else around. It's just he and her, and he handles her with dignity. little side note, just a little quick side note. Husbands, we would do well to never berate or, or carve up our wife verbally in public. In private as well, but especially in public. We would do well. Number six, instruction. He gives her instruction. I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain and she starts in on this whole thing. And Jesus says, look, here's the, here's the deal, lady. A hundred years ago, your temple got pushed over. And he doesn't say it here. But within about 35 years, Jerusalem's going to get taken over and completely destroyed, as well as the temple. When he says, listen, a time is coming when you will not worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem. What he's saying is, listen, it's all going to be turned into rubble before too long. There's going to be a different way to worship. He takes time to instruct her. Do you know that in Judaism, the men went into this inner sanctuary part and there they would be taught and the women and the Gentiles were on the outside. Do you know what the purpose in that was? It wasn't because women can't learn. It's because God is smart. Jesus is a genius. This is why. This keeps men on point. Just because we don't let women in there doesn't mean we don't like women. It means we keep men on point. If the man goes in there and he is taught, do you know what he has to go home and do? Teach his family. Do you know what will happen if you take a man and a woman and you put them in church over and over and over? Do you know who ends up reading Bible stories at night? Of course you do. The majority of the time, it's women. Who's going to spiritually lead our homes? Most of the time, it's going to be women. It's not going to be men. God's pattern was right. It wasn't sexist. It was right. Make the men get in there, then go home and teach your families what everything is about. You better pay attention because she's going to ask questions you didn't freaking think of, right? Last one, seven, revelation. He gives her revelation. He looks her in the face and he says, I know you're waiting on the Messiah, but guess what? I'm here. It's me. Here's what else is interesting. Here's her approach to Jesus. Number one, apprehension. Will you give me a drink? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, and a woman. The next one, sharpness. She kind of comes at him a little bit. 
she says she has a little bit of need. Yeah, I wish you had some magic water. Magic water would be great. I wouldn't have to come back down here all the time. Wouldn't that be great? She's guarded. Then she's amazed when he says, no, you've had five. She's curious. But she's also expecting something to happen. When the Messiah gets here, he'll explain it all. And then the last thing that she approaches Jesus or responds to Jesus with is belief and faith. It's difficult to take a passage like this and say, well, <clears throat> what does it mean to, for living water to come inside and well up into like a fountain? What does that, what does that mean? And I'm not very good at explaining some of this stuff, but I can tell you what it looks like. This is what I can tell you. It looks, this is what it looks like. You've searched everywhere in this world to find some sort of satisfaction for your soul. You've put unrealistic expectations on your spouse, on your job, on yourself, and they've fallen through over and over and over. And you come back to, to, to this whole realization that he is a disappointment to you, this job is a disappointment to you, and you are a disappointment to you. And that should clue us into something, that we must be searching for something bigger, something better. If we can't find satisfaction, what's the problem? The problem has to do with we're drinking the wrong water. What does it look like for springs of water to well up inside of us? to salvation or eternal life. What's that look like? Here's what it looks like. Two people come to a well in the middle of the desert to get water, and both of them leave, and neither one of them get water. How weird is that? Did you see the verse? She left her water jar and ran back into town. Jesus didn't get any water. She didn't have any water. They met there because they wanted water. Hey, can I have some water? Yeah. Hey, no, I don't know. Maybe you get some... They have a conversation. She leaves, forgets the water. You know what I think happens? I think all too often for me, I get so caught up in looking at the things that have always brought me some sort of satisfaction in life and keep chasing those things over and over and over and guarding those things. Oh, don't take this thing away from me. Don't take this thing away from me. I like this. Oh, I got to keep this thing over here. This is the thing that satisfies me. This is the thing that kind of keeps me going. I need this thing, yet I find myself unsatisfied in other areas of my life. What would happen if I just left my water jar and decided I'm just going to go tell my story? I'm going to leave my water jar and I'm just going to go tell what Jesus told me. Jared, you're a sinner, you're broken in a million pieces, and I love you, and guess what? I'm the Messiah and only I can satisfy that thirst that's inside you. Okay, and I leave my water jar. What would happen if I stopped leaning on that water jar all the time? Well, this is the thing. It's about buying stuff. You know, sometimes you buy stuff. You don't buy stuff because you need stuff. Sometimes you buy stuff because you're bored, right? Sometimes you buy stuff because you're sad. Know anybody like that? You just buy stuff because you're sad. I just feel better if I bought stuff. It's true. And Jesus stands there and he says this. I can satisfy that thing inside of you. There's nothing wrong with, the, with the, the want that's in there. There's nothing wrong with that. We would love for God to take it away. Take that away so I'll stop 
chasing after all these bizarre things that I chase after. No, 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 no. You need that. You need that passion. You need that hole inside of you. But you've got to get the right water jar. You've got to find the right water. What's it look like? I think it looks like two people who show up at the well. And they both want water and both of them walk away completely satisfied and with no water. That's been my interaction with Christ. Has it been yours? To where when you were at the very bottom and you didn't have anything and he was like, ah, there's a peace. There's a peace that we are supposed to have in this life. There's a joy that we are supposed to have in this life. And we can't find that anywhere else but in Christ. Not permanent. We can find it in no other place but Christ. That's it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we love your word and we thank you for great stories like this and this gal who you met and you had a conversation with and who you turned into the first Gentile missionary, how you saved souls with her broken story. And Lord, we ask that you will do the same for us, Lord, that you will take our broken story and you will let us go out into the world and change people's lives, even with just the simple story of who we are. Lord, thank you for making us who we are. Lord, convince us that who we are is right. Convince us that the way you've made us is right. Lord, give us the courage to accept that, to go out into the world, and to be ourselves as we follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good afternoon.